This is HPR episode 2913 entitled Windows, SDN, and Firewalls, and is part of the series Networking. It is posted by Bito, and is about 41 minutes long, and carries an explicit flag. The summary is, being a Windows user for the past three years, information on SDN, and a DIY approach to a home firewall. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. So, uh, hello everyone, uh, this is Beto on Hacker Public Radio. Um, so it's been about, last upload from me was March 19th, 2014, about 1,999 days ago. Um, it's about five years, but um, it's, been a, it's been a long five years. Um, so, first thing I, I want to say is, uh, you know, I just want to, I just want to say that Hacker Public Radio has been uh, instrumental, uh, just instrumental community uh, for my for me for the past five years. Um, I've been listening to Hacker Public Radio, and uh, it's provided me a lot of uh, a lot of insight on what's been going on throughout the community and uh, a lot of the changes that have gone uh, that that have been going on in our in our in the world. Uh, but in the past, in the last five years. Um, this I've been able to travel the world for work. Um, I've deployed a lot of things for work, a lot of cool things, a lot of, a lot of really cool and amazing things. I've taken on a new role, which moved me from working solely inside of data centers to working a lot more with networks. And but in those five years, I learned a lot about uh, data center operations, data center infrastructure. Um, I learned a lot about uh, the different type, the different, the different parts of the world and how we all come together as a, as one as one planet um, I've also come I've also read over like three dozen books in the past five years at least uh, and that's been that's been very useful uh, for as a career both for my career and for my personal life and um, another thing I've learned is that uh, it's really important to have your house in order uh, what I mean by that is opportunities are going to come across um, every day uh, but if you're not ready to take those opportunities uh, you you're just not going to be you're not going to be entirely focused or 100 uh, percent committed to make sure that opportunity succeeds um, and uh some of the things that I've done in in the past five years, and from a personal perspective, um, which is to help my get, to help get my house in order, has been paying off debt um, and focusing on long term financial goals. Uh, I know that's something that most people don't think about here on um, at, at a young age, especially. But uh, having the ability to uh, get rid of the 
the mundane expenses and you know you know service service bills here and expenses you know spending money over here and credit cards over there, getting rid of all that stuff uh, from your day to day um, can help you tremendously on developing long term financial goals uh, and having those long term financial goals helps uh, helps you identify where you need to focus on and also helps you in your decision making when taking on new opportunities uh, but three things that I continue to live by uh, something that I've learned on the uh, Finding Japan podcast but it's humility, humanity and harmony uh, these are three things I have committed to strive for in my personal life, work and hobbies uh, and you know this is in the past five years I've you know, I've I've seen, uh, I've been in and out of a lot of airports. I've seen a a lot of different uh, IT infrastructures and and a lot of cool technologies. Uh, but without thinking about the people first and thinking about how people make the world go round and how we should always keep in mind of the folks who are around us helping us deliver that awesome next you know shiny project or the awesome next shiny technology you know keeping those people around and and taking care of them and treating them with respect uh, and as your peer will you know keep you on an even uh, and predictable course in life and that that's something that I found to be very important um, but enough of the intro uh, let's start to show off in the wrong direction windows so in the past five years, uh, from 2014 to 2016, I was using Fedora Linux exclusively as my primary workstation. I actually did something a little crazy where I was using it as a uh, primary workstation and I would have uh, KVM running uh, in, and I'll have two VMs, one which was my firewall and the second which was just a, you know, just a, just a random you know, VPN box. Um, I would have those two VMs running in the background while I use the workstation as an everyday workstation. Um, sounds a little crazy, uh, but I learned a lot uh, doing doing things that way. I learned how to automate my automate the uh, the, the startup and and decryption of of, uh, of hard drives and using USB keys. And I learned a lot about automating uh, KVM. Uh, hosts uh, as 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 the as as the most in the mo in the best way you possibly can um, I learned a lot about introducing uh, 10 gigabit networking into your environment uh, that's when I first started to touch uh, 10 gigabit NICs and tying those uh, as uh, as bridge setting up bridges so that my my VM uh, host my host can use that for my clients so uh, I, I found that to be a, a very a very amazing experience to have put myself through the heartache of having a fedora box be my primary workstation as well as run my hypervisor and run all my VMs uh, which was my firewall for the house so that was a very interesting experience but what I learned out of that was Number one, I learned that uh, when you break something, 
and it's a critical system uh, to your entire household, you better know how to recover that immediately. Um, if you don't, you're gonna have a lot of angry users, uh, and and um, I feel that uh, having learned how to have this all-in-one box do everything inside of the home, um, it was a great experience. But I realized that I needed a more stable environment, something that I can uh, test things in my lab and have the other half of the network not be touched by that, so that uh, other folks can use or 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 have other services on my network run without any issues. Uh, so this was my uh, adventure into Windows. So 2016, uh, I believe this was uh, January 2016, I began using Windows as a, as a full-time machine. Um, I, uh, I use a lot of old hardware, some uh, AMD FX uh, processor stuff and it's just old stuff but it still ran Windows 10 without any issues I still was able to use most of the uh, features available in Windows 10 uh, but one of the things that I found to be uh, a longing that that I had missed from the from a Linux command line was uh, you know whether you whether I'm using uh, aptitude or uh, I, I, or or yum or whatever the uh, the, the other tool is in, in fedora I realized that I wanted to use something similar to a package manager um, in, Power, in, in PowerShell. Uh, so what I came across was something called Chocolatey, uh, or Chocolatey, yeah, it's gotta be Chocolatey. And this tool is a excellent tool for, um, think of it as a package manager that you can run inside of uh, Windows PowerShell and you can, from, a few a few command line a few a few a few commands choco install audacity and in a few seconds uh, you'll it'll parse you and say hey are you sure you want to install audacity and sure enough you'll get the latest uh, up version of audacity installed onto your windows machine if you ever want to upgrade any software that you installed via via choco uh, you just choco update all and it'll update all it'll update all the all the uh, software that um, all the all the software packages that you've controlled using that uh, command line tool, an amazing tool, um, very easy to install, and uh, very reliable uh, in terms of having the most up-to-date packages uh, available. So, uh, most people out there, uh, I feel that you know when you're downloading software off the internet or you're downloading it off some sketchy website or you know, you're just installing something randomly. I feel that, you know, that's probably one of those experiences in Windows that just makes it feel so dumbed down that doesn't really make you want to use it anymore uh, because you feel like you don't need this dumbed down version where I have to click through this website and click on this box and click on this download link and click on this executable and click through this executable and hit next. I think that's one of the things that I uh, I definitely give Linux uh, and you know any any operating system any Linux operating system props for having a very good package manager. So um, so yeah, so Chocolatey uh, it's a great tool for downloading free software from the Windows PowerShell command line. Um, a second tool that I would say that has been instrumental. Uh, 
in my Windows uh, experience for the past three years has been uh, Sublime Text. Uh, Sublime Text, uh, it's a it's it's an excellent tool. Um, this this is a text editor. Um, it's very powerful. I use this to quickly parse uh, data and and conduct you know crazy regexes to allow me regexes to allow me to edit uh, data and then copy that data over to a spreadsheet or CSV values and do something else with it. Um, overall, just a great tool. Um, I feel that it's a I feel that it's a little more powerful because uh, one example that I have for using Sublime Text is, you know, let's say you have, you know, you copy and paste some some value off of some inspect element in, in Chrome and, you know, you, you want to be able to organize this data so that for every uh, div tag or whatever, you want a new line. Hey, just like in, just like you do in VI or said, you know, you, you're looking up through a regex and then you'll, you know, you'll say, hey, insert a new line here. Um, but one thing I like about Sublime Text is that, you know, you can regex search, you know, those div tags or whatever it is that you're searching for. And it'll basically highlight every single one of those. And it'll give you the opportunity to hit the enter button and you get a new line. It'll give you opportunity opportunity to uh, backspace that, that, uh, that regex value and replace it with something by typing and replacing and seeing the live update of that I feel that that's a very powerful tool um, because so many times um, have I thought that my regex search or said or or my my awk has done something and the only time I find out is when I run the data through the whatever tool that I'm using and find out oh it only actually replaced you know half or just the one or just you know one out of 16 you know I I just find that visual response of what I'm editing to be a lot more powerful inside of uh, Sublime Text. Um, but I, there's a ton of other tools and features inside Sublime Text and I highly recommend it. Uh, it this, this definitely uh, definitely something that you should put in your uh, Windows uh, toolbox. Alright, so in summary, you know, it's important uh, that it's important to understand what everyday Windows users are going through. Um, I've been able to solve a lot of problems by having this uh, profile uh, of a user in my toolbox. You know, I guess the concept I'm giving is that there's the concept of uh, switching uh, hats. And, you know, one of these hats is a Linux user, one of them is a Mac user, one of them is a, uh, you know, Chrome OS user, one of them is a Windows user. And I'm able to switch hats uh, frequently because I force myself to explore um, using these operating systems uh, it, as an everyday tool, um, uh, what I've had, what I've found is that using Windows to me is not the same as for most people. And the reason why I say that is because for most people, they are using Windows in the, the more dumbed down sense. You know, they're just clicking through boxes and they're just accepting EULAs and just using the tool and that's it. They don't really have an understanding of the uh, the deeper nuances and some of the deeper things you can do inside of Windows. Alright, so in summary, uh, the importance of being an everyday Windows user uh, uh, just allows me to focus on solving problems in different and unique ways.
using different tools, using tools that um, other people are using out there. And the beautiful part is that I don't really lose touch in my Linux, uh, in my Linux command line foo. I've got my, uh, I, I have my um, Ubuntu uh, shell here. I have a Kali Linux VM. And these are all tools that just allow me to stay focused. All right. So moving on to the next one, uh, web stuff. All right. There's an awesome website that I've discovered recently, and it allows you to test and debug your regex. Um, this is called regex101.com. Uh, what I find very helpful about this site is that as your uh, whatever regexes that you're inputting into the site, you can put sample data there, and it will also um, basically show you what the result of your regex formula is. Um, in addition to that, it will also provide some uh, some in information about the regex itself, what, meaning what different what the different components of your regex is are doing and I find this to be extremely helpful um, if you know whether you're new or or this is something uh, this is something that you're very uh, accustomed to doing um, it's just a very helpful website that allows you to test your regex formulas uh, against some sample data the last thing that's extremely beneficial is that it allows you to share uh, these regex formulas with everyone using the results that using the results from the uh, test data so if you have you know a regex value and some test data and you want to compare or accelerate or share this on some site you can use this site to uh, to save uh, similar to pastebin or, or something uh, something of that nature to share your uh, your regex and the sample data and provide that as an example for others to, um, you know, either critique or, you know, to use as to use in their projects. So I find this to be a very helpful site, regex101.com. All right, maps. Uh, in the U.S., um, if uh, I know GPSs and you know phone GPSs and OpenStreetMap and Google Maps and we have a lot of map tools available to available to us in in uh, all across the world, and these are all digital uh, map tools that require some sort of network connection. Some you know may require you to download this information uh, ahead of time before planning a hike or a trip or something like that. Uh, and one of the uh, really good uh, map resources that are out there are the USGS maps. Uh, what makes this a very unique uh, site to download maps from is that you are able to download uh, PDF versions of map sections f that are 1 and 24,000 units or 7.5 minute uh, degree maps. So this is an awesome, awesome uh, resource. If you're into land navigation using uh, using a map using a map ruler or map protractor, and being able to navigate uh, latitude and longitude uh, look positions using a quad a quadrant based map, uh, I believe quadrant. I think I believe that's the correct tool or correct term. Uh, but anyway, uh, a quadrangle quadrangle uh, based map 
these are all topo maps so you're going to get elevations you're going to get major roadways you're going to get uh, land masses such as you know uh, rivers and, and lakes and uh, stuff like that these are not going to be uh, like flight maps where you're going to get airport data um, and maybe in the next episode I'll I'll locate a resource that allows you to download those types of maps um, especially if you're like a drone pilot or someone who's still gonna go out there on a hiking trip or backpacking trip and want to know and you want to know where some of your uh, some of the aerial maps that are available out there um, because it's really helpful to know what where some of the air traffic um, what what are some aerial maps that uh, pilots would use because uh, that could be a that could be an instrumental resource in a uh, survival in a survival situation, um, especially when you're out there on your own hiking in the wilderness. But um, I definitely recommend this. Uh, this is going to be on the USGS. You have to go to the store, the USGS store, and you know you can purchase maps that are already printed on a piece of paper, or you can just download the maps yourselves on a, as a PDF and print them on your own paper on a plotter or something like that. So I highly recommend it. Uh, and most of the maps that I've seen, they're about two. They're within two years. Um, they're, they're around one to two years old, uh, which is great. It's it's no problem. Uh, but the the biggest benefit out of this is that you're gonna have the quadrangle or the your Latin longs are going to be uh, painted or displayed on these maps, which will allow you to conduct uh, land navigation using a map protractor or or map ruler. Uh, but you'll you'll need a one in twenty four thousand scaled uh, ruler. So you can't use like just if you use like a one in one thousand or use like a uh, a different if you use military style if you use a if you use anything different you won't get the accuracy that you're looking for when you're doing analog uh, land navigation. So uh, last website that I have for the web stuff is SDN information. Uh, so if you're starting out in software defined networking. I highly recommend uh, that uh, you take a look at this uh, GitHub site that I have. It's called awesome-sdn, and this website is a basically a repository or or a source of a lot of different types of information regarding SDN. Now, if you're just starting with SDN or you're already deploying this in production at a site in, in your at your job, this is still a great site. Um, I use this uh, for my northbound network switches and my Aruba switches. Uh, that are SDN capable or use uh, OpenFlow. Um, if you're using other switches that have different network operating systems on there, this still this is still a great site to uh, identify con different types of controllers and libraries and, uh, and 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 resources to allow you to configure your SDN environment. Um, the most important part here is that if you are not already um, if you are in a network if you work on network infrastructure or network automation or networks uh, in general. Um, you have to start thinking about network automation. Uh, you have to start thinking about how the network is going to deploy itself, how the networking uh, uh, can become more self-healing, how the uh, information, uh, like such as SDN, SNMP traps and stuff like that, how those things can be more easily and automated, more easily communicated to uh, uh, to you know network operators or network administrators or network engineers, uh, so that you're your environment can uh, can sustain uh, network outages and uh, network changes or protocol changes. So, um, if you're not looking into SDN or if you're not looking into network automation in general, such as using Ansible or you know some some other you know maybe some proprietary level 
automation tool, um, you have to start looking into this stuff. You have to start looking into this stuff. Um, SDN is just one component, in my opinion, of many tools available. Uh, many uh, one component of the many available tools out there. I guess that's the right thing to say. Uh, so, but definitely start looking at SDN. Uh, check out Northbound Networks for their SDN devices. They got the cheapest uh, switches you can purchase at one at uh, 100 meg and one gig. Uh, you you can find a couple of other devices out there. Uh, use you know on for some of the more uh, mainstream uh, switching providers, but they they get they get very expensive. Um, the cheapest that you can find out there using a 10G port is probably going to be about 500 bucks. You can build your own, uh, and this is going to segue into my uh, firewall, uh, uh, my firewall topic. But uh, you can build your own for very inexpensive, you know, sub 200 dollars or even sub 100 if you want to go, uh, you know, bare bones. But um. But yeah, I highly recommend uh, looking at a uh, open flow, um, uh, open open virtual switching, uh, looking at network operating systems, and you know SDN controllers. These are all great things to uh, to, to check out. Uh, and also, uh, you can also look at there is also a, a way that you can virtualize an SDN environment where if you just want to test, uh, you can create uh, virtual switches and. And in that in that fashion, you can just test a SDN controller against the virtual switches and have virtual nodes tied to the virtual switches, and that will allow you to test your SDN environment using uh, just virtual resources, which is a very common uh, tool. Which is very common when you're using Genosis. Uh, uh, when you're using uh, what is it? What is this tool called? It's a uh, Genosis. So the tool is called GNS3. GNS3. So GNS3 is is your uh, is your way of uh, deploying an SDN environment uh, without using any physical hardware. Um, but anyway, moving on. Uh, ah, and one more thing to add to uh, the SDN topic is zero tier. Uh, there's an awesome. Uh, this is an awesome uh, UDP pinning uh, SDN or SD WAN uh, tool. Uh, this is basically edge networking for your mobile devices and allows you to uh, basically connect to other devices that you that you own and you control and they are basic they are they have a virtual switch on the actual device which connects back and the controller will will communicate to those devices how to connect to the other devices in your um, in your environment uh, whether that's going to be you know your firewall back at home or another mobile device in another place and on earth so um and that's zero tier uh, i'll have those in the, in the show notes home hacks all right I'll, i only have one here and this is a home phone uh, if you are looking for a home phone and you already have a google voice number then i highly recommend um, getting yourself an ob200 from obitalk and this will allow you to uh, to basically deploy a home landline phone system over a SIP uh, a uh, SIP telephone or VoIP telephone adapter, which will allow you to connect your Google Voice number as a SIP and other other SIP resources as well. So, if you want nine one one, you can pay for that per month, and you'll get nine one one service. 
Um, or if you just want a free home phone, uh, you just use your Google Voice, connect that to your OBTalk, uh, your OBTalk system, your OB200, and from there, you'll be good to go. You'll be able to reach your, your home phone uh, from any other phone, and you'll have a home phone number, which is a fantastic, uh, a fantastic solution, uh, especially if you're not interested in purchasing or paying for uh, a VoIP service through, you know, your your internet service provider. So uh, it's free. It's uh, the the service is free, which is using Google Voice. Um, the device is about fifty bucks, I believe. I, I can't recall, but I'll have the I have a link to it in the show notes. And fantastic tool, fantastic tool. All right, all right. Last one is uh, firewalls. Okay, so in last in the past year and a half, I've been using Ubiquity as uh, my primary network environment, and it's been a pretty good uh, and useful tool. Uh, what I like about Ubiquity is that um, you'll have basically a controller that will uh, deliver that will that will send the configurations over to the firewall, to the switch, to your wireless um, devices, and it's very useful. Uh, very useful because you know you're just using one web interface to control your entire network environment, similar to what an SDN environment is. And I think Ubiquity, uh, they their sales team classifies this as an SDN uh, tool or SDN network uh, tool. Um, but uh one thing that I've discovered is that using the using the uni, using the unified secured gateway uh the three port device which is uh, about 100 bucks US it's a decent device if you're at a 50 megabits to 100 megabits uh WAN uplink uh but if you have a 1 gigabit WAN uplink this device is completely useless for uh for that type of network connectivity and uh, the reason why I say that is because um, if you were to uh, if you were to enable the IPS and the IDS and um, G and and all the other features that are tied to this device, um, you will be you will have issues with your uh, firewall capabilities. And what I mean by that is, um, for example, let's say you're let let's say you have a uh, one gigabit uh, WAN uplink, and you you're you know you're going from your 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 modem to your your firewall at one gigabit connectivity and then you're going from your firewall to your LAN at, at one gigabit connectivity now the problem with all this is that you will not have end-to-end -end one gigabit throughput um, the reason behind that is because the ASIC inside of the firewall you know heating um, the features or the capabilities of the firewall or the bus all that has all that is going to have a very important part in how your firewall performs uh, when you start enabling these additional features so one of the problems with, with the uh, the unified secure gateway the three port one is or usg3 is that if you were to enable ips ids and try to push a and try to push one gigabit's worth of traffic throughout your household up to the wan um, your firewall is going to reach a limitation. Um, and for example, let's say, let's say we have about, uh, you know, let's say we have about 1 million packets per second that we want to transmit over, over our firewall. Um, if we were to do the math, and let's just cut that in half, let's say 500,000 packets per second. 
um, and let's say each packet is 100 bytes. When you do the math on this, uh, what you end up what ends up happening is that you end up with a, approximately 400 megabits per second in throughput. Um, so think about that. If your if your firewall has has needs the capability of transmitting one 500,000 packets per second just to get 400 megabits per second, um, the ASIC or the CPU in that firewall has to be beefy enough to support that capability. And this is a lot of the this is a, a lot of a lot of people have this problem when they're using these uh, fanless uh, firewall solutions is that the uh, the CPU just can't handle 1 million packets per second. And 1 million packets per second is more or less the equivalent of getting 800 to 900 megabits per second in uh in firewall throughput. So and we're just talking firewall we're just talking firewalls. We're not talking IPS IDS. Once you start enabling IPS IDS, uh, your CPU is working harder, and it may it may it may throttle down that your traffic to 50 megs per second. Uh, so you know, think about that. You you've got a one gigabit WAN uplink that can only transmit at 50 megabits per second over your firewall and you know that's it you're you're done you're not going to be able to get your 1080p you're not going to be able to game you're not going to be able to do uploads or anything like that you are limited to that 50 megabits per second with the ips enabled and firewall capabilities enabled so so the best alternative would be to purchase uh dedicated hardware and what i mean by that is um, you could go with the Ubiquiti XG, which is, you know, 10G capable and 1 million packets per second capable. Um, you know, you, you'll get the full throughput out of, out of the device, but you're paying over a thousand US dollars for that. That is a solution that is not good or not a good option for a hobbyist or a home network hobbyist or someone with just a simple home network. Um, and if, if you want to, if you want to spend and save, if you want to save some cash and you want to still get that one million, over 1 million packets per second throughput and have all the capabilities of using IPS, IDS, VPN, uh, you know, IPsec, whatever, whatever jargon you want to throw in there, whatever special words you want to throw in, you'll get the capability if you bought dedicated hardware. So a small form factor workstation like an AP, HP Z240. That's going to allow you to deploy a, you know, a four core, eight thread Xeon processor, 32 gigabits of RAM, two PCIe by 16 lanes using by eight with a by, with either by 16 or by eight, um, uh, connectivity. Uh, and with just that alone, you'll be able to well surpass the one million packets per second connectivity. Uh, by having a one gigabit uh, connection on board and then deploying a you know uh, a low low profile uh, two port 10, 10 gigabit SFP plus uh, NIC on there, that's it. You're you're you will you will have the ability to um, to do a lot more than you could with you know a USG three, and you would have saved almost about five even seven hundred dollars. Um, then if you by opting out of uh, purchasing an XG or you know high-end dedicated hardware and uh, so so the most important part about this is the SFF option a small four-factor option 
you want something that's small that's going to live inside of a network closet or someplace where heat is going to you know penetrate it 24 by 7. Uh, you want this thing to be able to stay cool on its own, have some fans running on it. Um, you want this to have the ability to run a Xeon processor. With Xeon processors, uh, you have low clock rates, you know, 2.3, 2.0, maybe even 3.0 if you spend some big dollars on there, uh, on the CPU. But at least you get four cores, eight threads out of the thing most of the time. You can still, you could even go cheaper and go Core i3, Core i4, Core i5, Core i7. Um, and these are all these are all going to be you know fourth generation Ivy Bridge uh, processors. So those things are out there for less than a hundred bucks sometimes. With thirty two gigs of thirty two gigabytes of RAM, you've got plenty of RAM uh, to do to do whatever you want with this uh, dedicated firewall, dedicated firewall hardware. And you have at least four slots to to to, to load up a uh, uh, three and a half inch drives. If you want, you could even um, you can even purchase PCIe adapters that allow you to plug in a NVMe drive, which will be fantastic uh, solution to speed up your uh, your your storage. And in the end, um, you have a dedicated system that is for your firewall that has 10G connectivity, or even you know four by. You you can even uh, deploy you know multiple one gig. Nix, whatever you, whatever your flavor of uh, connectivity you want, you can deploy here. Uh, and in the end, you can have well past the one, one million packets per second. You can enable almost all the features available in PFSense or Sophos XG. And this will be a, a very great piece of equipment to have on your network and to allow for you to freely do whatever you want uh, by utilizing that one gigabit WAN uplink. So to circle this all around with the intro and, and with my Windows uh, discussion, when I, one thing that I have done is that I've actually migrated from a dedicated firewall system to a virtualized firewall system. And what I've done is a small, I've taken a small form factor um, PC, you know, like an HP Z240, you know, I've paid you know 150 bucks for the thing or whatever it was on eBay at the time loaded up some RAM loaded up a decent Xeon CPU put a hard drive in there and installed some and installed a hypervisor after I installed the hypervisor from there I was able to deploy firewalls uh, as uh, as VMs and by deploying the firewall as a VM I do lose some uh, performance but not Nothing that I'm not that I'm going to notice uh, with, with my one gigabit WAN uplink. And what I've gained out of all this is the freedom to run multiple fire firewall operating systems on the same dedicated hardware. And I've been able to switch between firewalls. I've been able to load balance between firewalls. I've been able to you know, do performance tests against firewalls, you know, do com uh, a comparison test, you know, deploy PFSense as a VM here and, you know, Sophos XG on another VM here and, and just swing the WAN uplink over virtually using the virtual switch in the hypervisor and boom, I'm, I'm now in seconds, I'm connected to a PF, PFSense box with all my brand new, you know, security policy or firewall policies and oops, looks like I messed something up. Swing it back, and boom, I'm back on my Sophos XG running my network. So by virtualizing, um, 
by virtualizing the firewall and treating it as a service uh, to my environment uh, and removing it as a dedicated operating system, I've been able to uh, leverage uh, this small form factor system to not only do firewall testing, but to do all sorts of other testing. And, um, and I found that to be a, a huge benefit in my environment. Okay, well, I'm gonna post this up now in uh, Audacity, clean it up, add some uh, intros and outros to it. Uh, but I do encourage everyone to uh, to continue uploading, continue discussing what you know what you're doing and what you're getting yourself into, and and you know I hope this was of uh, some help. I hope this was uh, some useful information that uh, different people can uh, can take with them and and use uh, for whatever the projects they have planned. Um, I appreciate your time listening. You all have a great one. And until next time, I hope it's not going to be two thousand days later, but I'll try to upload something again soon. Until next time, everybody, take care and have a good one. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.